All right, we're in the manuals. Chapter 1, again. The Word of God is a more sure covenant. All right, now I am all for prophetic words and prophetic ministry, all right? Now, I don't want to give you an impression that I'm not. I'm all for being led by the Spirit at the same time. What we have to watch for a lot of times is our preconceived ideas of what we're talking about. Because many people won't move until they get a prophetic word. And then, then it got to where they wouldn't move. They got a prophetic word and a confirmation. You know, so it just keeps getting further down the line. Now, at the same time, people say, well, I, but, you know, shouldn't we wait till we're led by the Spirit? It depends on what you mean by led by the Spirit. If you're talking about some outside arbitrary feeling, no, you shouldn't wait. You should begin to minister immediately. And now, when you get an outside arbitrary feeling, then if it lines up with Scripture, move on it. But now, if you're going, now notice the leading of the Spirit will always line up with Scripture. Is that right? Now, if it's going to line up with, now think about this. If the leading of the Spirit is always going to line up with Scripture, then you can do Scripture anytime, with or without a leading. Right? There is nothing in the Bible that tells you to wait for a leading. There's nothing in the Bible, especially the New Testament, that says anything about getting a leading or anything else. Matter of fact, let me. Kind of just well, I'll just prove it. In uh, in the book of Acts, Paul was operating strictly according to the Great Commission, not according to a leading of the Spirit. That's right. Right? He went about bringing salvation, preaching the gospel, and I can prove it because at one point you'll remember he said they were going to go into uh, was it Asia, and he said, but the Holy Spirit said not to go. Isn't that right? And that was when, right after that was when they had the, the vision of Macedonia and they had this guy over here saying, come over here and help us. Right? Now, think about this. If Paul... Now, Paul was already going. He, was, he had already been launched into ministry and he was going. Now, if he was waiting for a leading, he would, the Holy Spirit wouldn't have had to tell him, don't go into Asia, stop, don't go further, turn this way and go this way. Because if the Holy Spirit, if he was waiting for a, a leading or direction, then... The Holy Spirit, then whenever he moved forward, that meant that he had already got the leading to go toward Asia. Which means the Holy Spirit interrupted himself and said, no, I've changed my mind, go here instead. Now, do you think the Holy Spirit changes his mind like that? Or does he know ahead of time, which is what the Bible says, that he will guide us into all truth, but it also says he will show us things to come. Isn't that right? So, the Apostle Paul was not operating by leading as a, on a general note. Now, he did operate by a leading whenever he was turned aside by a vision and was taken into Macedonia, right? So, I'm not against leadings. I'm just saying, if you don't get one, do the Bible. Do the Great Commission. Teach all nations. Go in and preach to all nations. But now, while you're going, you will probably get specific or what we call special leadings. And if you get a special leading, obey it. But until you get a special leading, obey the Bible. Isn't that simple? You just go. Now, I've got ample references, both in Scripture and even in current history, or or current church history especially. T.L. Osborne is a prime example of exactly what I'm talking about. He told his wife, Daisy, we're going... Actually, they went into India, and they had no results. They had no power, nothing. Didn't know what to do. Came back to the United States, and he said, when we came into the... Uh, San Francisco Bay when we were coming in there he said I remember standing on the bow of that ship with 
Daisy and I told her, I said, I promise you I will never take you out of the United States again. Right? And that was, you know, what, 60 years ago now? And they've gone into over 200 nations of the world. You know, so obviously didn't keep his word, but that was because he didn't know what was coming. And then he went in and he got a hold of God. And he found the truth that you have to minister with signs and wonders. He, uh, and that's what Paul said. He said, I have fully preached the gospel with signs and wonders. Now, you can preach the gospel, but until you preach it with signs and wonders, you're not fully preaching it. That's right. Right? It is to accompany the preaching of the word. Simple as that. Now, uh, you know, at this point, I'm really not here to debate the existence or the credibility of signs and wonders as a manifestation of the Spirit today. I'm assuming that you already know that it's for today. So we're not going to deal with going in and proving how over the last 20 centuries there have been evidence of the manifestations of the Spirit all the way through. That's another, another seminar. Actually, it's one of the courses in our Bible school. But what I'm here to do is to help you move, assuming that you already believe that healing and signs and wonders are for today, then I'm here to help you move into the place where they start to become common to you. Now, when I say common, I don't mean that you put them down or they become not important, but I'm saying that they happen regularly in your life. Now, there is a degree of momentum that you can get moving in the Spirit. But, generally, momentum in the beginning is a lot of effort without much results. Right? You start to push a car. When you first start, there's a whole lot of effort with very little results. Right? But once you get it rolling, it'll gain speed and it actually gets easier, feels easier anyway, to actually keep the car moving or even to gain speed once you get it rolling. That's what it is. See, the enemy does not want you to get those first few battles. He doesn't want you to get those first few victories. Because as long... See, once you get those first few victories, even if you have defeats after that, you'll keep going. But if he can keep you from getting the first few victories, then there will always be that little doubt in your mind of, is this for me? Is this right? Is this for today? All those things will come in. But if, he, if we can get you past that... Now, I made a statement once before, not, not here actually, but in other places, that, where I said, if the Holy Spirit came to you in whatever form and said, listen, I'm fixing to use you to heal the sick and it's going to be powerful. But, the first 21 people that you pray for are not going to get healed. You're not going to see any results. Matter of fact, they may even die. Now, right then, what should your mentality be? What should your reaction be? Get past the 21, get to number 22. Now, when you get to number 22, you can go back to number 1, and they become number 23. Amen. Don't leave them hanging out there, right? Go back. After you get some results, go back for the ones you prayed for before. Amen? Now, I was in Denver, Colorado, as a matter of fact. And I actually was in an AG church there, too. And they had... uh, We've had some neat experiences out there. Um, It's kind of a New Age area. Well, it's not kind of. It's definitely a New Age area. And it was kind of neat because every time I go out there, we end up having witches and warlocks and New Age people show up. And and the witches, a lot of times, they'll sit... They try to space themselves. I mean, they come in as a group, but... You don't know it, right? And they'll space themselves. And the, one of the last times I was out there, 
I was back with the uh, staff before, you know, at, uh, before the meeting, and they said, listen, we know that there's some witches out here because we know them. We've seen them before. And so uh, we're already we're, we're prepared to take care of that, so don't you worry about it. Just go ahead. So I said, okay. So I was going to see how they operate, and it was pretty neat because as we were doing the worship, they called their youth group together. And they got the youth group together, and they, and they told them from the pulpit, they said, all right. And they have a certain name for them. And it's, little, it's actually part of the Master's Commission. And they said, uh, all right, now, uh, take your positions. Now, I'm, I'm thinking, what is their positions? You know? And it was funny because you watch these kids get out of the crowd, and they started placing themselves around the walls. And they placed themselves all the way around the walls by the doors and everywhere. And they said, all right, begin. And they started praying in tongues and started blessing and started binding these things. And you ought to have seen the witches. They were coming unglued in there, all right? And a couple of them started to get up to leave. And, you know, you can't keep people, right? I mean, that's kidnapping, right? So they, they let them leave. But as they went out, you'd see two or three or four kids go with them. However many there were, you'd see several more kids go with them. And they'd just follow them right on out. And before they got out the door, they were talking to them, witnessing to them, praying for them. I mean, it was amazing to see how organized they were with it, which obviously they had. See, organization always comes after the second time you meet somebody. Okay, the first time it's chaos, right? Because you're not expecting it. But the second time, you're organized a little bit better. And so they started working with them. And we've had several cases like that to where you have these, these situations. Witches are just people looking for power. And unfortunately, most of the church has not shown them power. And so they go into other areas. Now, I, I've told God before, I've prayed. And my biggest prayer, my, my most consistent prayer, has been this. I've asked God to bring three types of people into our ministry with us. Those are ex-Baptists. Because they don't have to be led to do anything. They know it's right to witness, and they'll witness to anybody, anytime, anywhere. Right? At least the old-time Baptists were. I don't know how they are now. I haven't been part of them in a while. But secondly, ex-military, because they know what it means to take an order and get the job done, and they don't quit until they get a new order, which we haven't got any new orders. Right? And so they keep moving. And then third is ex-cultist. Because people that have been in cults know what it means to absolutely commit and to give Everything toward getting a cause accomplished. Okay, and you know they they know now many times they've been abused and it's been crazy stuff. But the mentality is what I'm looking for because I can take a Baptist and take him into the power of God. That's easy. And once you show them the power of God, they'll run with it. Once they see it in the Bible and once they experience it, they'll run with it. See, it's us Pentecostals that have the biggest problems because we've got as many traditions as anybody else. We've got as, as I mean you know we've got our own set. Right? And so we have to break through those things. Now, in, in the manual, I've got to get you back to the manual quick here. Page 3, chapter 1, the Word of God is a more sure covenant. Now, you do not, if it came down to a voice or a written scripture, take the scripture. Right? Because pretty much every cult that's ever been started came by somebody hearing a voice. Right? So a voice doesn't mean much. Right, there's a lot of even Paul said there's all kinds of voices out there, there's all kinds of things going on, but the written scripture is the, the binding I, I don't like to use the word binding, but it is the, the, the one sure thing, right? Because let me tell you, a voice, even a prophetic word. Prophetic words are good. The Bible says to that to, to not despise prophesying and, and these kind of things, so that and it says even to war your warfare by prophecies that have gone on before you. So prophecies are good for warfare there and that's because God will give you a prophecy beforehand. You get into the battle. 
in the middle of the battles where you need it and then you remember God said, hey, wow, God knew about this whole thing all along. Right? And that's why He tells you beforehand. And if He told you in the middle, you'd wonder if it was God. He tells you beforehand, so when you're in the middle of the battle, you can say, God told me. So that's all, that's all good. But, Scripture, you know, you can have a prophecy sometimes and be wondering, okay, was it real? I sure hope that person was right because, you know, my life is dependent upon this, this situation. But Scripture will always be solid. Right? You look at it today, it reads something. You look at it 20 years from now, it'll read the same thing. Isn't that right? Prophecies can come and go. Scripture stands. Amen? Yeah. The Word of God is a more sure covenant. The Word of God is our final authority. Our experiences must be judged by Scripture, not Scripture judged by experiences. Now that knocks out most of our traditions right there. If you would just judge your experiences by Scripture rather than the other way around. See, we have, basically in the church, a theology based on failure. When we have a failure, we go to the Bible and try to find a scripture, usually out of context, that will back us up in our failure and explain why we failed. Right? So our, our theology is usually based on failure, not on success or victory. Most, even, well, I'll just be real blunt, even most of our statements of faith in the, in the church is reactional. Not proactional. People don't generally sit down and say, okay, this is what we believe and write it all out. Usually, they write some pieces of it down and then as different little uh, heresies or isms and things, schisms and that kind of stuff shows up, then all of a sudden we go, you know what, we need to amend our statement of faith because we don't agree with that. And so then we add it in. So most of the time our statement of faith is reactional rather than proactional. Right? I'm not saying it's wrong necessarily. I'm just saying that we need to realize, okay, what is, what is essential? In other words, what, what will we not bow you know, or bend on? Right? We need to find out what the Word of God won't bend on, and we need to have the same standards. Now, it says, the Word of God is forever settled in heaven. We must settle it on earth. In Psalm 119, verse 89, the psalmist David wrote, Forever, O Lord... Thy word is settled in heaven. How long is it settled in heaven? Will there ever be a time that God's word is not settled in heaven? No. So it's settled. So there's no changing. Am I right? So as it's set right now, that's the way God sees it and says it. Right? So he's not going to change for you or me or any situation that we come into contact with. Right? Now, his word is settled in heaven. You notice it doesn't say, your word is settled in heaven and in earth. Because his word isn't settled in earth. See, that's our job. That's why he said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because his will is his word. And his word is settled in heaven. Our job is to settle it on earth. We take his will, his word, and we accomplish it on the earth. Now, that means that the earth is messed up. Isn't that right? And that means our job is to bring it into correct alignment. Now, I'm not saying we're going to fix the earth. I'm saying we're going to work on fixing the areas that we have areas of influence in. And whether you fix it or whether you don't, your job is to attempt it. Isn't it right? And to go toward it. And to be moving toward that direction. So, people say, but would God want us to try to fix it if, we, if he really had no idea that we were really going to get it fixed? Yes, he would. Why? Because you don't not help somebody just because you can't help everybody. Isn't that right? I mean, I've heard Christians say that before. People stand on the street corners with a sign, you know, please help. We'll, we'll work for food, which is usually not true. It's just they don't want to say, please give me money for nothing. Right? And so they don't want to put that sign out. So they think if you say that, you'll, they'll give you money. And so I've had Christians say, well, you know, but you know, if you give them money, 
then if they see you again, then others, you're going to have to give everybody. If, they, if, so, if one of them sees you giving them money, then you're going to have to give all of them money. Okay? Okay, so what? Well, but if I gave everybody money that I saw was asking for money, I wouldn't have any money in my pocket by the time I get home. So, you know God. They don't. You know where to get more. See, they don't know God. Because I, I, I went that same route. I do that. And then, of course, then you try to rationalize it. Well, yeah, but they're going to take God's money and use it for drugs and alcohol and cigarettes and all those things. It could be. But you don't know that, for sure. You know? And if you're really worried about it, don't give them money. Take them and buy them something to eat. Give them actual food, if you're concerned about that end of it. But don't just... You know, it's amazing when, when there's people standing on corners trying to beg for money and food and things. It's amazing when you pull up there how interesting your radio becomes. Because all of a sudden, everybody wants to look at their radio the whole time. The person's standing there. And you're watching the red light. Waiting for it to turn. Because you, you don't want to acknowledge that they're there. But you need to realize that the Bible says to give to every man that asks you. Now, and people say, yeah, but if we do that, we're helping. No. The bottom line is this. The Bible says it. You ought to be obedient to it. Isn't that right? Yeah, but if we feed them once, they're going to We did that. We fed some people and they kept coming back. And pretty soon they came back with more, and pretty soon they come back more, and, and you know it's kind of quick. Like, and I, I went to God, God, what am I going to do? You know, they keep looking at me. Now I'm their help. You know, they, they see me as their source. And God said, I know. Now, that's because they don't know me, but you know me. Who's your source? I'm like, well, you are. And He said, then what are you worried about? You know, do you not have anything? Do you not have the money? Do you not have the food? And I'm like. No, we've not run out. He said, then what are you worried about? And I realized the more I started doing, and I'm, I you know, made a commitment not to pass it up. And I realized that I never ran out. That every time I would start to run out, because I, I mean, a lot of times, I, there was a time in Dallas where this guy came up to the window. My wife and I uh, were sitting waiting in the red light, and this guy came up to the window. I ran in the window, and I just reached in my pocket. And whatever was there, that's what I pulled out and handed it to him. And it was... It was like a $10 bill. I mean, it wasn't, you know, a 50 or a 100 or something like that. It was a $10 bill. And the guy, when, he, when I handed it to him, he looks at it and goes, it shocked him. You know, it wasn't change. It wasn't a dollar, that kind of thing. And he's like, God bless you. God bless you. I said, he does. That's why I can do that. And he goes, you know, he goes, I, I, I'm not going to be like this forever. This man started telling me all this stuff. Hey, I was worth millions once. And I lost it all overnight 10 years ago. And he said, but I'm not going to be like this. I'm going to come out of this. And I'm like, I believe you are. I believe you will. And so, you know, we talked and the light changed. I had to go. And I, I'm pulling off. I'm like, you know, we drive around the corner. And off. I said, man, I want to find some more money to give that guy. You know, it's kind of, he really, you know, he's, he's like, I want to help him. And so, people say, but yeah, but you're being foolish. Or, you know, you're, who knows what he's going to do with the money? Who cares? That's, okay, if I give him money that God has given me, and he does something wrong with it, that's between him and God. Right? But between me and God, I'm obedient. Amen. That's what counts, right? It's always right to help, right? Well, I mean, come on. Even the Bible even says when your enemy is hungry, feed him. Yeah, right. Is it right? Well, this guy is my enemy. He may not be a Christian, but he's not my enemy. I only have one enemy. He's called a devil. Isn't it right? These are people who need help. These are the people that many in the church see. Go back to the, to the good Samaritan, the priest. The people in the church walk right past some of these people. But it's, it's the, the Samaritan that comes along and says, you know, man, I ain't got nothing, in, but here, here's what I do have. See, we, all I'm talking about is taking the Bible literal. 
and doing what it says to do. And when you do, things work. I, I'm, see, I don't have... Um, I'm telling you, I am not special by any stretch. I am so normal you wouldn't believe it. You know? But I refuse to give up. I refuse to quit. And I just keep finding more of the Bible to do. And I try to live what it says to do. And God has been faithful. God has been a lot more faithful than I have. You know? I've had my ups and downs. I've been the roller coaster Christian. I know. You know, I believe me, I've been there. And I'm telling you, even whenever I was... There was a time, right when I first started praying for the sick, especially... Man, there was sin in my life. I mean sin. I knew it. I knew it was sin. Everybody around me knew it was sin. Right? It wasn't hidden sin. It was blatant sin. And yet, people were getting healed. And I was shocked. You know, because that went against everything I'd ever been taught. And here I am, praying for people, and they're getting healed, and I know the sins in my life. I'm like, okay, you know. And finally, I just went to God. I'm like, God, don't you care? Don't you know that there's sin in my life? I mean, what's the deal here? And right then, God spoke up. And He said, I know and I will deal with you later. <laughs> and I thought, you know, it sounded like somebody being called to the principal's office. You know what I mean? And, I'm, I, and I, I, I told people, you know, it's kind of funny because right after that, this desire for holiness seemed to come on me. <laughs> you know? And the sin started kind of falling away a little bit. <clears throat> because... And then I started asking God, then why, if you know there's sin in my life, why are you helping them? He says, because I love them. And I will use anybody I can to help them. And anybody I use, that doesn't give you a free ticket to do anything. But anybody I use, I will deal with you later. You see, God has this system of checks and balances. But it's not the system we have set up. It's not the system we think He has in place. We think that... If, I'm, if there's sin in my life, that somehow that short circuits it and God can't use me to help somebody else. How many of you know that God used heathen people to help Israel many times? Isn't that right? Well, if He can use a heathen that doesn't even believe in God, surely He can use a Christian who has either got, as we would call, problems or sin or, or backslidden or something. And if He can use a Christian with sin or is backslidden, then surely he can use people that are actually going toward God. Isn't that right? So, but yet we all say, well, I'm not ready yet. I don't know enough. How much do you need to know? See, whatever you know, it's enough to help somebody that's at your position. Right? When you got born again, you knew John 3.16, probably. I mean, I don't know if that's the actual verse you knew, but let's say it was. Well, right then, the minute you learned John 3.16, you became qualified as an evangelist. Right then. Not whenever you learn every scripture. You didn't know hardly any scripture when you got saved. And you still beat the devil. Isn't that right? You beat him with one scripture. And didn't even know the rest of the book. There was a... Let me give you an example. Back in World War II, they had the concentration camps. And many of the concentration camps, actually the gates were open. Most of the time. But they were guarded and they had to guard towers, uh, towers and the machine guns and the dogs and all that kind of stuff. But the gates were actually open. So let's take you back. Let's say we're back in 1943, 44, early 44. And you're in this concentration camp. Maybe you're a downed uh, you know, allied pilot or whatever it is. No, let's not do that. They had it a little easier than the other guys. Let's say you're in an actual concentration camp. So things are tough. But the gates are open. And you're walking back and forth. And you look at that gate. And every day you walk out and look at that gate. And you've got other prisoners and they've got work details going out and people coming in and cars coming in, trucks, that kind of stuff. 
So you're walking back and forth and you're looking at that gate and you're thinking, you know, I think I can make it out. And so you tell a couple of your, your buddies in there, you know, I think I can make it out that gate. And they're like, don't try it. Man, they'll kill you. See those guns? See those guard towers? They'll kill you. Don't try it. You're a fool if you try it. And so you, you put off a little bit and you hold off and finally you're looking at it and you go, no, I think I can make it. You know, I could throw a, sh- a, sh- a shovel over my shoulder. Maybe they'll think I'm a work detail. I mean, come on. It'd be better to try and die than to stay here and just be picked off one by one. At least give it a shot. And they're, they're back there going, don't do it, don't do it. And you grab that shovel. You stand up straight and you just start walking like you know where you're going. And you start walking toward that gate and the gates are open. About that time, you, 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 you're not looking at them, but you know up in those guard towers, there's those Nazi prisoners or uh, guards. And you hear that machine gun swing around and he kind of aims it down at you and he looks at you. And, man, you know, your heart's beating so loud you can't hardly hear anything. You start to break out in a sweat. Your heart's beating real fast, and you're, but you keep right on walking. And you act like you know what you're doing. And you hear them talking, you don't understand what they said, but pretty soon you see the barrel of that machine gun rise up where they put it back down and they go about their business and you walk right on out that gate. Now right outside that gate, usually there was a perimeter that, they could, that was open so that they could fire across and they could see across the perimeter. But at the edge of that perimeter would be a bunch of trees and maybe bushes and that kind of stuff. And there would be this one stump. That would open up, right? And it's got, remember Hogan's Heroes? The stump open up. Okay, so the stump opens up, right? And this one guy's over there going, over here. And you go over and you find out it's maybe the French Resistance or somebody like that that's there. And they go, come on, come on, come on, we'll take it. So you go down through here. And maybe a month later, you wake up one morning and you realize, bless God, I'm in Minnesota. Ho, ho. Good to be here. It's good to be anywhere other than where I was at. Amen? This is almost better than Kansas. No, can you? <laughs> And so he takes his, about that time you hear the phone ring. Pick up that phone, you go, hello? And on the other end of that phone, you hear this voice. And that voice sounds something like this. Good morning. You will arise and you will go outside and stand at attention until we have taken a roll call. Do you understand? And you listen, you think, whoa, that's that commandant. of the prisoner war camp. And you're thinking, you're holding it for a, for a split second. And you're thinking... Because you're right back there all of a sudden. You're thinking, should I go out in the front yard and stand at attention? I mean, come on, that's what he's telling me to do. But then you think, no, bless God, I'm in Minnesota. Man, you hang that phone up, bless God, I'm free. Isn't that right? Now let me ask you this. What took more faith? Now this is not a trick question. Okay? What took more faith? Walking out those gates or hanging up that phone? Walking out the gates, Right? So if you walk out the gates, hanging up the phone ought to be pretty easy, right? Now, the Bible says that while we were dead in our trans, trans, uh, transgressions and sins and trespasses, isn't it right? While we belonged to the devil, we made a decision and we were translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Isn't it right? While he owned you, while you belonged to him, you made a decision and got out from under his control. Isn't that right? Now, if you can do that while he owns you, how much easier should it be for you to hang up the phone when he says, You're sick, you got cancer, you're going to die, I'm going to kill you. You ought to be able to look at that phone and say, Man, you're crazy. And hang that. Isn't that that true? It ought to take a whole lot less faith to walk for him not to have any power over you now. I mean, back then we could understand it because you belonged to him, right? But now you don't even belong to him. Why in the world would you listen to him? Why would you not stand... I mean, think about this. Why would you not stand up and say, No, bless God, I don't belong to you. 
You don't have anything to do with me. You can't control me. You can't boss me. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to do with my body. See, that's another thing. We tell people all the time, well, you know, um, the problem is I gave place to the devil and he has a place here now and he has a right to come in. All right, well, let's go back to legalities. You want to talk about, come on, you brought it up, okay, <laughs> about legalities and, and giving place and he has a right. Well, then, how do we have, an, how do we have any knowledge of what's right? Well, it's based on the Mosaic Law. All of our judicial law is based on Mosaic Law. That's where it came from. Now, and if you will even check, you can check with a police officer here local. Now, the Bible says that the devil was a thief and a murderer and even a liar from the beginning. Isn't it right? From the beginning. See, you seem to think for some reason that the devil has some authority. He's not. He is a renegade criminal spirit. He's been that way from the day he, just, he said, I will ascend and I will throw, overthrow God and I will set myself up. He has been a renegade since then. Isn't that right? That's why, you notice he didn't come into Adam and say, here, the garden's mine, get out. He didn't do that. He had to fool them. Isn't that right? He didn't have the authority. He didn't have the ability. He didn't have any of that to be able to take anything. He could only receive what was given him. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve gave it to him. Isn't that right? Now, the Bible says, and especially for Christians, especially, the Bible says, you are not your own. Isn't that right? Your body is not yours. You've been bought with a price. Now, how many of you know, okay, the, the Tahoe I came here in, it is in my name. It's my car. Now, if I had my keys laying up here, do you think that because I left my keys here, that you would have the right to tell somebody else, well, here's keys to Curry's Tahoe. It's yours. Take it. Drive it. Do whatever you want to with it. Do you have that right? Why? It's not yours. Your body is not yours. Who does it belong to? So you don't have a right to give the devil right. You get it? You don't have the right to give the devil entry into your life. You don't have the right to do that. Your body doesn't belong to you. All this stuff about... See, you know, it's funny because you don't ever hear that in the New Testament. You don't hear anything about that. When it talks about giving the devil place, it's talking about sin, not sickness. Sickness was always an attack of the enemy. Now, I'll admit, sickness can come roughly one of three ways. Okay? It can come by sowing and reaping. You can do things to yourself to, to break down and to, and to give the devil entry in the sense that you're giving, uh, you're breaking your body down, giving him a place to work. Okay, in that sense, sowing and reaping. Then there is what we call, uh, well, actually, the main one is just flat out attack, right? And the two that I really want to emphasize is that sowing and reaping aspect, but then also the attack aspect. Now, the enemy attacks because he hates you. You don't have to do anything. See, that's what we always think. See, that's part of this problem that we have with this, this theology that, well, if you're sick, now, if you have back problems, it is unresolved grief or possibly unforgiveness. If you have arthritis, then, and, then it must be because you have a bitter spirit. And so we try to trace these things back and find, if here's the illness, this must be the spiritual root cause. Right? Now, the problem with that is this. You better be right. Every time, 100%. Because the minute you say that, you have just become judge 
over every person that has that disease. And you're saying the reason you have the disease is because of this spiritual root problem that you have. And the Bible says don't judge lest you be judged. Because with what measure you judge, you will also be judged. Now, the Bible doesn't say there are times when we are to judge certain things, such as fruit. But you are not to judge and say, well, you're in sin. You must be in sin because you have this problem. Now, if you see a person sinning, that's one thing. You can say that action is a sin, therefore you're in sin. But whenever a person comes to you with sickness, and all of a sudden, well, what sin are you in? You know, what sin have you committed to cause this? Then you better be right. Because you've just set yourself up as judge over another person's servant. Do you understand that? Nowhere does the Bible, does Jesus ever say, judge the people. Matter of fact, do you realize that Jesus, do you realize that none of this theology that we've developed in the church actually is biblical? It's not even biblical. Automatically, when we look at that, we have this idea that people have committed certain sins... And never now, should people have unforgiveness? Of course not. But I'll tell you what, the reason most people, you say, yeah, but when they got forgiveness of that sin, or when they confessed that sin, then they were healed. Do you know why that happens? It's very simple. It's because of the book of James. If there's sin in your life and you know it, then you have no confidence toward God. You have no faith toward God. You can't get healed. But it's funny, the very people that have those problems going on will get in my healing line. They'll tell me the problem, but you know what they never mention? The sin that they think brought it. And yet they know, or at least believe, that I can get it off of them. And that's what I do. I, you know what I don't? I never go through a person's life. I don't have time, first off, to go through a person's life and try to figure out every sin they did that brought this thing up. And the thing is, Jesus never did that. Jesus, see, if you don't have confidence toward God, if your conscience condemns you, If there's sin in your life, your conscience will condemn you. You'll have no confidence toward God. You'll have no faith. Hence, if you pray for yourself, you won't get healed. Because you know why God shouldn't heal you. See, you know why it's so hard for you to pray for loved ones and for them to get healed? Because you know each other too well. Everybody can think of reasons. You can think of reasons why God shouldn't heal them. And they can think of reasons why God shouldn't use you. That's why it's so hard to get loved ones healed. It has nothing to do with a sin. See, the sin itself, because everybody that Jesus healed had sin in their life. Nobody was clean. Nobody was born again. Nobody was pure. Isn't that right? That's why he told them. He would heal them and then say, now, go and sin no more. See, we tell them, now, when you get the sin out, you'll be healed. Jesus said, you're healed. Now, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come on you. Do, Do you see the difference? Our theology is not biblical. Jesus didn't say, go and find everybody's problem. He said, go set the captive free. Amen. I mean, if we're going to find everybody's problem, <laughs> all we've become is a big social group. You know, we're all counselors. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit's our counselor, but He doesn't tell you to become that. Ain't right? He didn't tell you to go into people's lives and pry into their lives and figure out what... The, that's like this thing about generational curses. It's the same thing. Everybody's, well, you know, my grandfather must have been a, had a generational curse. He must have done this sin. Let me tell you, if you've got problems, it's not a generational curse. There's sin. Right? I mean, it, See, if I had become an alcoholic just because my dad was one, it wasn't a generational curse. It was me watching my dad drink and me deciding to drink. Now, it wasn't a matter of me, well, I've got to break the generational curse so I won't drink anymore. No, it's called sin. Quit drinking. It's not a matter of, well, I can't help myself. Liar. 
you can help yourself take responsibility and realize you enjoy. You notice, it's funny, people never hate the sin they're doing. How come all the people that do generational curses, how come they always enjoy the sin? How come it's always a sin they want to do? Well, you know, uh, I'd like to be good. No, really what it is, you don't want to go to hell. You like to sin, but you don't want to go to hell. That's the problem. It's not a matter of generational curse. You know, you want to talk, come on, generational curse, the whole world's under a curse. So, people talk about, you know, well, but this is a generational curse. It's not. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll prove it to you, I got it, it's in the manual. You know, it's funny because we have built up an entire, uh, how can I say, industry on generational curses. We got books, seminars, some things, some of these seminars cost hundreds of dollars to go through. And they take you into these things and you've got to sit and you've got to visualize Jesus and you've got to find out, go back to the root of your problem or where it started. And let me tell you, Jesus never did that. And he didn't tell you to do it. He said, heal the sick, cast out devils. There you go. You know, but I have fear and it's because one time I was in a swing when I was a three-year-old and, and somebody pushed me out of a swing and I fell and so I have fear from then on. Alright, well we're going to take you back to that swing. Now, are you there? Close your eyes. Are you there to swing? Yeah, well, okay. Now, now look around, because Jesus is there. Oh, yeah, I see him. And they see him. Now, that is... No, I'm sorry, it's not that close. It's that close. Right, you know what I mean by that? Past it to spiritualism. You're dealing with spirits, familiar spirits, and you, will, you are opening up a can of worms you don't want to get involved with. I've never seen anybody, any church, get involved in that stuff that did not split that did not have problems and did not that more troubles ended up in that church than what they started with. A few people get help, that's true. But a few people get help from hypnotherapy and you know psychoanalysis and all kinds of stuff. Doesn't mean it's God. So the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. These other teachings, they don't make rich and they add sorrow. You need to realize, get back to what Jesus said. Heal it or cast it out. If it's a problem, heal it or cast it out. Don't try to visualize. Paul said, I, I put behind me those things. I don't look back, I look forward. I forget the things that are past. He didn't say dig back into your past. Amen. He didn't say, I mean, come on, how, how far can you go? You're dead. Isn't that right? Well, but, but in my past, I, no, you're dead. You don't exist anymore. See, that's why, that's why I said in the beginning, every, person, every Christian's problem goes back to them not understanding what happened to new birth. That you does not exist anymore. Quit trying to raise the dead. Let it go, right? Quit using that as some escape. Well, I can't help myself. Yes, you can. If you couldn't help yourself, God couldn't send you to hell over it. Right? The fact that you go to hell over a sin is not because you can't help yourself. See, it's like what Charles Finney said. It's not that you can't, it's that you won't. See, it goes back to a heart problem. So, quit trying to point the blame and start setting people free. Things got so easy once I didn't have to find everybody's problem. It's amazing. I don't even go into that stuff. And I just set people free. We get testimonies every day. Thousands of testimonies. Not just people that I prayed for, but I'm talking about people, DHDs around the country. Tremendously. We've got some people that appear to be specialists in some areas. We've got some, uh, a couple in um, Arkansas that are actually, um, they have probably greater success as far as numbers uh, in having organs recreated. People, you know, organs removed or, or, or gone because of disease or something. They pray for them. Who organs are recreated? And so that's a kind of a common thing. So I would say they have a gift for that. 
But now I'm not teaching you how to operate in gifts, but as they did what I taught them in, the, in just the basics, then they started seeing areas where they had giftings. That doesn't mean that's all they pray for. They pray for everybody. But in those areas, you, to, you know how you can tell when you have a gift for a certain thing? It's real easy. You'll be praying for people, and they'll say, I got this problem. Okay, well, let's pray. Okay, next person. Well, I got this problem. Okay, well, we'll pray. And then when you hear that one thing that you have seen beat a lot, and that you... It's funny because as soon as you hear it, it's like, oh, well, yeah, watch this. You, you can watch the difference. It's just like, oh, yeah, we see that beat all the time. And, and usually you have a gift in that area. Now, that doesn't mean just pray for that and don't pray for everybody. You pray for everybody, and when the gift operates, wonderful. It's even that much better. And so you just begin to flow in all of it. Now, I'm going to send you to break here again here pretty quick. Well, it's quick. <clears throat> Time flies. Now, still in Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness is unto all generations. You have established the earth, and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances, for all are your servants. Unless your law had been my delights, I should then have perished in my affliction. Notice that God's word is forever settled. And if you look down about halfway to the page there, it has the Hebrew word for settled, used in, in Psalm 119, verse 89. It's the Hebrew word nasab, and it means to station, to set as a boundary. It's translated in the King James Version as appointed, uh, several listings there. But remember this, it, is, it means literally to set as a boundary. The word of God is set as your boundary. Now what that means is, if Jesus didn't do it, don't you do it. Alright? Now that knocks out about 90% of all the healing teaching we've heard in the church. Isn't that right? Because Jesus didn't do that stuff. He didn't analyze people. He just forgave them. Do you realize, he didn't even ask people about faith. I mean, very, very seldom... Did he even say anything about faith? When, it, when somebody demonstrated faith or exhibited it, he acknowledged it. He would say, yeah, your faith has saved you. Your faith has healed you. Isn't it right? But he, he, and he might have said, do you believe I can do this? And they'd say, yeah. He'd say, okay, be healed. That was it. But you notice he ever said, for, for example, remember the when the woman was bowed over and she came into the synagogue and he saw her? You know, if you read that story, that totally destroys most healing teaching. Because it says, when he saw her, he called her to him. And whenever she came to him, he said... Now, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, Woman, how lucky, are, how, how lucky do you feel today? How much faith do you got? You think today's your day? You notice he didn't look at her and go, Wow, you're bowed over. That's from a weak spine. That's from pain in the back. There must be some unresolved grief and some unforgiveness here. We better, if you get that out, God will heal you. Do you realize we have tried to turn ourselves into doctors... Rather than into deliverers. You need to just set people free. And that's what Jesus did. He called the woman to him and he said, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Now you notice, he didn't say, Do you want to be? Why? Because any sane person would want to be. Isn't that right? Do you know... Okay, I'm fixing to shock you. (laughs) Most people have the idea that everywhere Jesus went... Well, let, let me lay it out. They have the idea that Jesus would go up on the mountains at night, pray, spend time with God. God would show him everything he's supposed to do the next day. And then he just came down and did it the next day. Now, first off, if that was the way he operated, he operated in no faith. Because faith means having no evidence 
other than the scriptures necessarily, to do something. The more evidence you have, the less faith you operate in. Right? I mean, it gets pretty easy, you know. I mean, if God showed up, most people think that God showed up and said, okay, heal this one. Touch that one. And they say, well, Jesus said I only do what I see my father do. So, what you're saying is that Jesus saw the blind man, went over to him, and, and he saw the father come down from heaven and heal the blind man. And so he just went and did it. Okay, first off, that can't be true. Mainly because if Jesus saw the father heal the blind man, the blind man was healed and he didn't need to be healed and he didn't have to go do it. So he didn't see him heal him. Now, and if he operated that way, then that means you can't do the work that he did because that's not the way you operate. You understand that? So how did Jesus operate? Well, he was led by the Spirit. Yeah, but probably not the way you think. Because do you realize that nowhere in the New Testament does it ever say that the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to do anything? Not one place. What it does say is that the Holy Spirit, when He comes, will lead and guide you into all truth. Isn't that right? Not action. He didn't say He was going to lead you into action. If, if He leads you to action... See, we have the idea that we're going to be walking through Walmart, pushing our buggy, and somebody's going to come by sick, and all of a sudden we're going to be walking, and God's going to take our hand and throw it over on them and go, Ooh, I hope. I guess I'm supposed to pray for you. Now, now how many of you know if that happened, there's no faith, right? God threw your hand over there, there's no faith, right? Because this is, this is, there's no faith involved. See, and, and there would be no virtue involved, because virtue has to be based on you making a moral decision to do what's right. See, all these things have to work together. That's what, that's what makes what I'm teaching biblical. And what is generally taught in the church, unbiblical. Because on any one of these levels, I can tear it apart according to Scripture. Based on what is taught in the church. But, now, let me ask you this. When Jesus, was Jesus a hypocrite? Of course not. You, know, you think, duh. That's got to be a trick question because, of course, he wasn't. Isn't it right? There was, was there any degree of hypocrisy in him? No. All right. Now, Jesus gave the definition. Now, hear me carefully because this teaching, this session, this little segment right here will change your life. Amen. Jesus gave the definition of a hypocrite when he described the Pharisees. Right? And he called them hypocrites, which means an actor. Right? That's the actual what the word hypocrites, which means an actor, one who acts like something that they're not. Now, Jesus said, listen to what the Pharisees, the hypocrites, listen to what they tell you and do what they tell you. That's what he told them. Isn't it right? That's what he told his disciples. Do what the Pharisees tell you. Why? Because they sit in the seat of Moses. They have authority. Do what they tell you to do. Why? Because the Pharisees... To be honest with you, we're most like us today as far as charismatic Pentecostal Christians. They were sticklers for the literal translation of the word, the literal uh, interpretation of the the word of God. They believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. You believe in a resurrection. That makes you closer to a Pharisee. Not meaning the Pharisees were bad, right? Because as a group, they weren't bad. It's just what they did. Jesus said, listen to them. Do what they tell you. Just don't do what they do. Why? Because they don't do what they tell you to do. So a hypocrite is a person 
who says to do something but then doesn't live by the same rules they set up. Isn't that right? That's what a hypocrite is. Now, I ask you again, was Jesus a hypocrite? So you're telling me he lived by the same rules he preached? You believe it? Then you better think about it. Come fix him back into a corner, right? That's what Charles Finney said. He said, I find all the rocks that Christians hide behind and I destroy the rocks, leaving them, leaving them standing naked before God with no excuse. All right? That's what's fixing to happen. Now, this will solve the problem of being led by the Spirit. Jesus said, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, He said, there is a broad way and a narrow way. Isn't that right? And we have taught in times past that Jesus is that narrow way. Technically, he, he, yes and no. He's the Word, so He's a narrow way. But technically, the narrow way was this. Whatsoever you would that men should do unto you, do ye even unto them. You know what Jesus told him? He said, now think about this. He said, if you do to others what you would want done to you, you will fulfill the law and the prophets. Is that what he said? Now, so he said, listen, I'm going to give you a shortcut answer how to know what to do, the right thing to do in every situation. You don't have to know all theology. You don't have to know all scripture. Here's all you have to do. Every situation you're in, do to others what you would want done for you. And if you do that, you will fulfill the law and the prophets. In other words, as long as you live by that, you will always live by the Bible and you will always fulfill the Bible. That's what he said. Is that right? Now, that's what he taught them to do. That means that if he did not live by the same rule, then that means he was a hypocrite. Is that right? I know you don't like thinking of Jesus as a hypocrite, and he's not. He lived by that same rule, which is my point. He did not, he was not led around like some celestial, you know, by some celestial puppet master. That he had no control over where he was going, well, I'm just going to flow with the Spirit. First off, people that say that, seldom do. Right? They flow with their own mentality or the vanity of their mind. And they think they're being spiritual. When in reality, to flow with the Spirit means to obey the Scriptures. Because the Spirit of God wrote the Scriptures. Right? So when you're going to be flowing with the Spirit, you're going to be doing what the Bible says. Simple as that. Now, Jesus went about, according to Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Why? For God was with him. That's it. Now, that word went about means literally to wander around with no set destination. See, you believe in times past, or maybe even been taught, that Jesus had an appointment every day. And he had to be somewhere, and his whole life was lined out. And he had to be this. Jesus went up on the mountain at night, met with the Father, and got his directions for the next day. You know, he broke out his little you know, day planner. And said, okay, Father, what are we doing tomorrow? And then the Father said, well, now, son, now listen. You, we, we have to make sure that you're at the well, Jacob's well. Be there in the morning. Because there's going to be a woman at the well. And we got to meet. We're going to put that in the book. you got to meet her. So be sure you're there. She's going to be there about 10 o'clock. You be there. All right? And, and, and this is what's going to happen. And here's what you tell her. Now, that's not the way it worked. You know? Or we think he's sitting there and going, now, and, and now when the centurion shows up, now, he's going to want you to go to heal his servant. 
But I don't want you to go. I, don't, I want you to say the word. And, and Jesus said, but Lord, Father, we, we see so many centurions. How will I know which one is him? He said, it would be easy. He looks like Ernest Borgnine. That's how you'll know. Remember that, remember that Jesus and Nazareth, they showed every Easter? Okay, that's how you know. See, we had the idea that that's how Jesus was led. But it wasn't. Jesus was led. Now, did Jesus fulfill all the law and the prophets? Did he fulfill all righteousness? Now, if he fulfilled the law and the prophets and did all righteousness, then that means that he must have done what he said would fulfill the law and the prophets. Which was to do unto others what he would want done for himself. Now, see, in times past, we were taught this in school. I was when I was a kid. Called the golden rule. Isn't it right? Treat others like you want to be treated. But the problem is we have totally thought of that concept from human terms. That means somebody's sick, take them a bowl of chicken soup, help somebody, help a little old lady across the street, open the doors for people, be nice, be polite. Jesus was not telling people be polite. Jesus was, to be honest with you, he was not that interested in you being nice and polite. Now, because somebody, now think about this. Remember when he took the whip in the temple and he said he turned over the tables and people ran? Right? Now, it's because he had that whip. They didn't, he wasn't in there doing rope tricks. Right? They ran because they were afraid he was going to hit them. Now, it's not recorded that he did, but they thought he did. And believe me, when you can get a bunch of people leave their money on the table or on the ground and run, it's because they think they're going to get hit. Right? And so they scattered. Now, can you picture all these guys running, the money changers running outside, get outside the temple, away from Jesus? And they go out there and they say, what's going on there? What's that Jesus guy? He took a whip and chased us all out. Well, where's your money? Well, I left it on the floor. Well, what do you think about this Jesus guy? Well, I think he's a pretty nice guy. He's pretty nice. He's pretty sweet. He's polite. No, he would. they're not going to say that at all. They're going to say, he's crazy. Isn't that right? I mean, they're going to say all kinds of They weren't going to say nice things about him. So Jesus wasn't trying to get you to be nice and polite. I'm not saying be rude. But at the same time, it wasn't about being nice. It's about being right. You understand? The rule Jesus lived by was the same one he told his disciples what to live by. Did he fulfill all scripture? Yes. Did he, so Now think about this. Does that mean that every scripture throughout the Old Testament, he went and saw it and did it exactly the way it said it to do it? Or did he fulfill it by going about doing good and healing all oppressed the devil because that's what he would want done to him? Amen. See, we look at it from a human standpoint. We look at it from a, from a standpoint of, well, as a human, this is what I can do to help. But now you have to realize you're not human anymore. You're a new creature. You're a new creation. One translation says a new species that never lived before. That's what you are. And you're a species that not only has the Spirit of God, you've got the power of God. So now when you think of doing good to others and doing what you would want done to you, it doesn't just come from humanity. It comes from having divinity live within you so that you have the ability to go about doing good and healing all that oppresses the devil. Because isn't that what you want? You see a person at Walmart. Yeah, they are. They're sick. They're hurt. They're whatever it is, and you can tell it. And you look at them, and you think, okay, what should I do? Well, it's real simple. You think, okay, I've been through this healing seminar. I want to go pray for them, but should I? All right? The thing that I want to come up, and what the Holy Spirit will bring up, because that's His job, to bring to your remembrance everything that Jesus said. Now, isn't that who I've been quoting? So if he's going to bring it up, he's going to bring up what Jesus said. He's going to bring up what I've been quoting to you. And whenever you think, what should I do? 
does, a, does God want me to go pray for this person? Then I guarantee you the scripture that's going to come to your mind is this. Whatever you were, do to, you were done to you, do to others. Do you, realize, do you realize what a perfect system that is for God? He doesn't even have to watch you. He can just give you that rule. And it's recorded over on how you obey it. And when you stand before God, that's the rule you're going to be judged by. How did you live your life? Did you do to others? Not, okay now, whenever I told you to go left at that red light, after it turned green, not during the red light, but after you turned green, did you go left? He's not going to judge you according to some arbitrary standard. He's going to judge you according to the Word of God. Because the Bible says in James very clearly, to live and to speak is those who will be judged by the law of liberty. That's in James, what, chapter 2, I think verse 12. In James 1.25, it goes back and says that the law of liberty, that we are to look into this law of liberty, which is the word of God, and know that this law of liberty is the word of God, and it's how we're to live. So we are going to be judged according to the word, not according to some arbitrary leading and how you obeyed or disobeyed. Because let me tell you, there's been many times when people have told me, God led me to do this. And the, the proof was in the fact that they, he did not lead them. Well, and have you ever noticed how people, when they start getting spiritual, the thing they want to always bring up is, well, God told me. And you hear what they said, and you're like, I don't know who you're listening to, but that's exactly the opposite of what Scripture says. Well, no, no, God told me. And that's their way of saying, don't argue with me, because God told me. And you can't tell me what God told me or didn't tell me. Oh, yes, I can. If it doesn't line up with this word, God didn't tell you. Simple as that. That's how you know. Now, so your rule of thumb is not what impression do I get. Your rule of thumb... See, if God never spoke to you again in your life, He wouldn't have to. You would still be responsible for living according to that rule. You get that? See how perfect it is? Well, God, I never heard you. He goes, you didn't have to. It's written. And then what Jesus said? You notice Jesus didn't say, well, the, when the devil tempted Him, He didn't say, listen, devil, the Father has spoken to me and called me His Son. To, you know, well, if thou be the Son of God, then cast your... Th- and that was, that, Jesus didn't say, well, no, no, devil, the Father has spoken. He didn't say that. He said, devil, let me tell you something. It is written. You get that? Amen. It is written. I have based my life, my ministry, everything, everything we do is based on this right here. And that's why we... That's why God has opened doors. We go around the world. We have seen the same results everywhere we go. And we have been able to duplicate it in people that I have not even spoke to personally. And they've taken it and done it. And they write back and say, this works. And let me tell you, I got news for you. We're in the second day, almost halfway in the second day. You're already ruined. All right? I get letters all the time. Brother Curry, thank you for ruining me to traditional Christianity. That's right. You know why? Because traditional Christianity doesn't work. See, well, you know, I've had people say, well, but this isn't normal. I know it's not. I tried normal. It's way overrated. It's not good. You see, it's normal to watch your loved ones die. Ask around. That's normal. It's normal to lay hands on the sick and watch them not get healed. That's normal. I don't want to be normal. I got fed up with normal. I buried too many people. I've heard of too many people hurting and dying. And I got fed up with it. And I decided I would not be normal. And so I decided to be different. Not special different. Amen? We're to be a peculiar people, a separate people, a different type of people. If you're normal, you're not right. 
God never called you to be normal. Alright? See, that's a good word, a lot of you. <laughs> Thank God, I thought there was something wrong with me. Right? <laughs> and I found out it's normal not to be normal. Amen? So, Alright, let's take a break.